The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, today we got the Blue Meanie here. He's talking about ECW. He's an ECW original, a cult favorite. All the gimmick parodies he used to do. Remember the BWO? How about the Kiss parody when he was Meanie Simmons? How about the Jackson 5 parody? Do you remember that one? I didn't. You'll also hear that whole how it all got started, how the Blue Meanie gimmick got started, how Raven uh, shaped his career. How about... His original gimmick, the Zebra Kid. Can you imagine Meanie as the Zebra Kid? How about the night he made his ECW debut, and that's the reason he got a debut do-over. Another great story involving Mick Foley, Terry Funk. Meanie's got stories from his WWE run, how he celebrated being signed, the altercation he had with JBL, all the ups and downs and cool, funny stories from the Blue Meanie are here. But before we get into Le Meanie, let me say thanks to all you Talk is Jericho fans for listening twice a week, every week, right, to every show. And thanks for supporting the great Talk is Jericho sponsors who make it possible for me to do this for you for free. That's right, it's free. And that includes my old bud, my good bud, my yoga guru, my yoga yoda, Diamond Dallas Page, and of course, DDP Yoga. Now, he's given you guys a great deal on DDP Yoga at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. If you're wondering why you always hear me do DDP ads here on this show, talk about DDP Yoga, it's because I believe in this uh, in this uh, revolution, I guess you'd say. A revolution for your mind, for your body, and basically for your soul. This is the real deal, folks. DDPyoga.com slash Jericho. I'm not, I don't just like the product. I'm, I'm uh, what is it? What did that guy say? Cy Sperling. I'm just not the president of Hair Club. I'm a client as well. Well, there you go. I'm not just... Uh, talking about ddp yoga i actually use ddp yoga as well and i want you to do the same thing i want you to take advantage of the deal that diamond dallas page is giving to all the sexy beast listeners of talking jericho plus he's going to hook you up with three free months of the brand new ddp yoga now app now this is revolutionary it's one of the most technically advanced uh visually appealing uh, apps that i've ever seen and as far as getting the job done everything you need is involved in this app uh, it's the app i'm using the most on my phone right now that is the truth this app is so uh so amazing i gave it a five-star review on itunes and if you go download it you'll see that i'm not the only one giving it such great great ratings ddp has an android version of the app as well and you can get that at google play store and the best thing about the app is that i can get all the workouts right here on my phone on my device don't have to lug around the dvds the dvd player those things are becoming as obsolete as an eight track cassette man even though those are 
eight track tapes. Do you remember those? Yeah, exactly. That's you're going to say with DVDs in a few years as well. Uh, and you don't have to worry about it because you get every DDP Yoga workout right on the app. The app has live workouts from the for DDP Yoga Performance Center. Brilliant place in Atlanta. It's got uh, recipes, nutrition guides. You can watch live cooking shows. You can earn rewards within the app and redeem them for some cool prizes and DDP Yoga merch. You guys know what DDP and DDP Yoga did for me, how much I love this program. That's why Dallas has given you such a great deal. He's given you the best price on DDP Yoga at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. And then if you purchase the yoga program at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho, you'll get three free months of the DDP Yoga Now app. Get started on this today. It's one of the best decisions you can make for your health mentally and physically. Okay, when I don't do yoga, I start feeling down, depressed, and lonely. I don't want to do that. I want to feel good, man. I want to feel good all the time. I want you to be able to join me. Get started on DDP Yoga. Take advantage of this special offer. Get the lowest price and three free months of access to the DDP Yoga Now app by going to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Change your life. Get started today at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Get in the best shape of your life. DDP is going to take you there, and I'm going to be standing behind you all the way. Go check it out. Talk is Jericho, baby Talk is Jericho Talk is Jericho, mama Talk is me Alright, welcome to Talk is Jericho It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll The remedy for boredom has arrived The People's Podcast is here And let's go for a ride because it's Friday It's A little old school there. And if you haven't hit that subscribe button on iTunes, what are you waiting for? If you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode of Talk is Jericho. Uh, TIJ will be waiting for you every Wednesday and Friday morning like clockwork on the old device. Usually actually the night before at about 2 a.m. in the morning or so if you're on the East Coast. Uh, it's automatically delivered right to the device of your choice. It doesn't get any better than that, but you got to subscribe to do that. You don't have to fumble around. You'll have it right on your device. And while you're subscribing on iTunes, take a minute and leave us a comment and a five-star rating. Benga Mark Doodles McGillicuddy. It's a great name chuck 5363 jones jr 85 where you guys getting these names from and lupe roman all left five star ratings for talk is jericho and comments as well and i thank you for that uh very very excited to uh have blue meanie here on the show this week it's been a long time coming but it's here at last but before we get the meanie on i want to tell you this funny story from last sunday so we had uh, a show in bakersfield california Great show. I was working on top, brother, against Bray Wyatt. And the show started at 1 p.m. It was an early show because it was Valentine's Day. Now, it's always stinky to be on the road away from your loved ones on Valentine's Day, but it's what we do. It's what you got to do to make a living. And I was in the dressing room, like I said, at 2.30, and I was on last, and I get a text from, uh, from Paul Stanley. And this is not a name drop, okay? It's just so crazy. I got this text from Paul Stanley, the whoop-de-doo, but... Paul and I are friends, and he uh, he goes, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, um, I don't know, man, nothing really. I got this show in Bakersfield, and other than that, I'm pretty free. And he said, well, my wife is sick, and I'm going to the Clyde Davis Grammy party. Do you want to go? And I was like, uh, okay. He's like, well, meet me uh, meet me in the lobby of the hotel where it took place at, at 7.15. Now, I finished the match, and I was able to get out of there probably around 4.45 or so, and I, I was like, what am I supposed to wear to this thing? You know, so I kind of scrounged up. I had a John Varvato suit jacket, the one I wear without a shirt, which causes so much discussion amongst all of you, which is why I do it. 
if I can get more people talking about me, why I don't wear a shirt than actually talking about the main event of raw, then, you know, Jericho's doing something right as always. So anyways, I found the suit jacket. I had a nice button up shirt, uh, jeans, a pair of boots and off I go. So I go to the hotel and I show up in the lobby and I'm waiting for Paul to get there. And there's like just paparazzi everywhere and fans everywhere. And there's a bar off to the side. So I go to, off to the side and get myself a, a yeah boy. And basically just hanging around by myself like the biggest nerd. Like just in the corner. Like I don't want to bother anybody. Don't really know where I'm supposed to go. Don't really know what I'm supposed to, what I'm supposed to do. So finally Paul gets there and uh, he's like, hey man, uh, you know, come on up to the, to the, you know, there's like a metal detector where everybody's waiting to get in. So, I see him there, and he's like, hey, come on up here. So I say, excuse me, excuse me, kind of bump and push my way through the line. And I get up to where Paul is, and I think, hey, I think I just uh, I think I think just uh, butted in front of Buddy Guy. And we turn around, and it's Buddy Guy standing right there. And Paul's a huge Buddy Guy fan. So we talk to Buddy for a bit and take a picture. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm sorry for cutting in front of you in line. He's like, no problem, man. So then Paul walks the red carpet. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, do I walk the red carpet here? Like, I've walked a million red carpets, but this is kind of the Grammys and, you know, and then I see these two kind of nerdy people walk the red carpet. I've never seen them before. And I'm like, you know what? If they can walk the red carpet, so can I. So I walk down there. And, and of course, you never know if the photographers are actually taking pictures or if they're just flashing. Because that's a trick. A lot of times if people walk the red carpet, they don't know. They just flash <laughs> yeah, cameras so you don't feel too embarrassed. But they don't actually take a picture. But then I did see some pictures of me the next day uh, online. So I was photographed on the red carpet. So that was cool. So then I walk to the end and Paul's doing a bunch of interviews. So I'm kind of waiting at the end of the line. And, uh, you know, I see Stephen Stills walk by and Clive Davis walks by. And if you don't know who Clive Davis is, he's like one of the most famous music moguls in history, head of Arista Records and J Records and, you know, Whitney Houston. And, and just the, the list goes on and on. If you want to Google it, like basically anybody who's ever been anybody in rock and roll from, you know, Chicago and Earth, Wind and & Fire and Nirvana and the Eagles and Fetty Wap all the way up to, you know, L, L. Goulding and all those type of people all – discovered or Clive Davis had something to do with it. So anyways, so I'm standing there, all these people are walking by and, and I see uh, Suzanne Summers. I was like, oh my gosh, like if you are a child of the, of the 80s like I am, everyone knows Suzanne Summers. She was like a crush for all of us. She still looks great. And of course, I didn't say anything to her. So then Paul comes over, we walk inside and there's just like, it's like when I say that everybody was there, I mean, everybody was there. And this is no joke. Um, the list of people that were kind of like <laughs> just kind of wandering around, it blew my mind. It was actually uh, quite uh, impressive of a lineup. I'm just trying to see if I can remember everybody that was there. So, uh, so Ringo Starr, Sylvester Stallone, who was really cool. I talked to him for a while. Joe Walsh, Suzanne Summers, Jamie Foxx, Irving Azoff, Juliette Lewis, uh, Christina Aguilera, Gwen Stefani, Blake Shelton, Barry Gordy, Michael Keaton, Michael J. Fox, Richard Branson, Caitlin Jennings, Chris Rock, uh, Larry King, Barry Manilow, Jane Fonda, LL Cool J, Lenny, Lenny Kravitz, uh, Chicago played, Earth, Wind & Fire played, Nirvana played with Back on Vocals, um, Barry Manilow played, Melissa Etheridge played, and the best part of all is all these fancy pants are there, and they stuck all the rockers at one table in the back. It was me, Paul, uh, Gene Simmons was there with uh, with his lovely wife, Shannon. Alice Cooper, Alice's manager, Shep Gordon. I mentioned his documentary, Superman. you got to check that. Sammy Hagar, uh, Chad Kroger from Nickelback, Avril Lavigne. They have all of us hanging around in the back. It doesn't matter 
how old you get or how much notoriety or how famous you get. When you stick a bunch of dudes in the back of the room, of course, we're going to start you know, making comments and throwing little insults and burials <laughs> towards people. <laughs> I won't say exactly who we were burying, but a couple of the artists did not really nail it, and uh, we were having a couple laughs back and forth. Uh, actually, Nancy Pelosi, I'm like, Paul, why is Nancy Pelosi here? Isn't she like the Speaker of the House? And Paul's like, no, I think she was a member of Heart. <laughs> so um, good times, and uh, Dave Grohl was there. Actually, most of the Foo Fighters were there, maybe even all the Foo Fighters. And uh, we went to get a shot of tequila, Grohl and I, because we've known each other for years from the Golden Gods days. And the bar was closed, so we uh, greased the waiter 40 bucks for some tequila shots, so Grohl still owes me 20 bucks. So I want my 20 bucks, Grohl. You son of a gun, you. But uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, like, what, it's such a cool vibe, and like, you just see everybody there, and uh, it was it was a great experience. So I want to thank thank Paul for uh, for hooking that up. And I ended up did meeting Suzanne Summers. If you go to Instagram, you see a picture of me and Suzanne and Paul Stanley, two huge cultural icons, and me. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. But it's you know it was cool though. It was it was, it was a a really cool experience and uh, made some new friends and hopefully some future guests on Talk Is Jericho uh, because that's what I do. You know, whenever I see somebody that uh, I think is cool. I'm like, oh, instantly I'm always thinking podcast guest, podcast guest, podcast guest. And a lot of the people were Talk is Jericho alumni. I mean, Paul Stanley was and Gene Simmons was and uh, Larry King was there with his lovely wife, Sean. They were Talk is Jericho alumni. So I did have um, some uh, some steam there. I knew some people. Alice Cooper has never actually been on the show, but he's uh, obviously, like I said, he's my award show friend. So I will get him on at some point by hook or by crook, and I do have the Blue Meanie on. He is on today by hook or by crook. So uh, it's going to be a great show. I mean, he's such a good guy. Very excited to have him. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is, talk is, talk is Jericho. All right, sitting across from me, the blue meanie. Yeah, man. Uh, in like this seedy hotel. <laughs> <laughs> when you said, you know, uh, it'd be good to talk about this hotel in a, in a place that's very ECW, my first response was, oh, we probably got kicked out of there. <laughs> there's, well, there's, there's several in this area we have been kicked out well, it's of. it's funny because, you know, we're meeting here before the show tonight in, uh, in Philly. Yeah. So I wanted to get a room because I'm going to Pittsburgh after, but I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it. So I just went on a hot wire and looked up, like, was it two stars? And, and the, the cute thing was, it's like, <laughs> you're like, you know, it's not a really nice room, and uh, but I don't want to spend. I was like, dude, look who you're talking to. <laughs> I wanted to impress you with uh, with the nice room here. You know, oh, I know, you know. But, but this, uh, but this is like you said, this is kind of the Philly. Um, this is kind of the epitome of what ECW kind of was. Yeah. Not as far as you know, CD hotels, but it was very gritty and very dark. And uh, I remember what was the hotel we used to stay? At? Was it the Travel Lodge? Oh, the Travel Lodge. The, yeah, I, which I called the Cylinder of Sin. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, so like, I remember stories of Jim Cornette talking about like back in his day he would have to, uh, you know, st- him and Stan Lane would like kung fu kick the door open just make sure nobody was in there. He- <laughs> 
for the, the travel lodge, you would have to look and make sure there wasn't like a chalk outline. It, yeah. <laughs> it was that bad, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah. I remember, like, you know, first going to ECW, and I think it might have been one of the first times other than Japan or something where the promoter paid for the hotel. Yeah. And the reason why I was able to get Paul to pay for it was um, I wasn't sure what the deal was. Right. And, of course, he never calls anybody back. So of I course. said, um, I'm assuming you're paying for the hotel. If you don't call me back, then then that means you're paying for it. Just wanted to check. Right. Of course, he never called me back. So it's a good I, way of calling his bluff. Exactly. <laughs> so I get there, and of course, I go to the travel lodge. Like this is my place. I got a room here. Yeah. And of course, it was like this total. Like I, if it wasn't a crack hotel, it was pretty close to one. Yeah, that that part of the neighborhood is uh, is this. Well, it's, Philly's so weird. You could be on one block and it's beautiful houses. You go two blocks later, and you're like, oh, let me go back home. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that hotel was one of the. It was there was some magic to that because. You could go down to the bar, and Polly was infamous for doing promos till like six in the morning. That's right, and we would do them in the travel lodge. Yeah, right. He would get that top floor. Yeah, you know where Steve Austin did his famous uh, Monday Night Quill promo and all <laughs> that stuff. And you'd go to the bar, and you know, luck, you know, you'd have it put a couple of cocktails in, and then like. So he would send somebody to go look for you, and then you come up to the top floor to, to travel lodge, and uh, you do your promo. And the thing was too in the bar, all the fans were there. Oh yeah. So it wasn't like, not that it's like that now, but you know, you see some fans, you might want to try and stay away there. It's like the fans were a part of the of the of the family almost. It was kind of like, uh, and some of the fans were kind of like sponsors in a way. You know, they would. Mm. They would get the room for you. They, you know, you'd get to the hotel. You have a tub full of beer waiting for you. <laughs> or if you needed a room, you didn't. Even, sometimes you didn't even need to get your own room. You could just go to a fan's room, shower up there, hang out, and pass on the out on the couch. And then if Paulie comes to get you for your promo, you do your promo. Go over to uh, the, the Chinese food restaurant or the diner across the street, and then then go to the airport and catch your flight home. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. But but luckily for me, it was just like a five minute drive. Right, because you're from Philly. Yeah, uh, born, uh, partially raised, grew up in Jersey, but uh, Philly's been a huge part of my life and career. So ECW was the perfect place for you because it was literally right in your backyard. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I was I was born here. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents. And then after uh, my grandfather passed away, uh, my, gr- my, my grandparents' dream was to retire down the shore. And then uh, they you know, took, took up raising me because my mom was a single mom with mm-hmm. me and my sister. They said, let's take a little bit of burden off you. Let's, uh, we'll raise Brian. So they took, you know, there was, they didn't even have to, they raised me. And then uh, my grandfather had passed when I went to Al Snow School. I was away at Al's for like a month. And my grandma calls says, you know, Pop's dying, cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, but you stay there. Don't give up your dream. Stay there. So uh, Al Snow gave me the blessing. Hey, he's like, hey, man, you've been here for a year. Go back home. Hustle. Now, I'm getting all you all these bookings, but it helps you to go out there and hustle on your own and establish yourself. So I, would, I moved back to Atlantic City. And I'm still doing bookings in, like, Pittsburgh, Detroit driving from Atlantic City. And then once my grandfather passed, my grandma was like, you know, this whole Atlantic City thing was our dream. Let's mm-hmm. let's move back to Philly. All our families in Philly. And uh, luckily for me, it's just a perfect time. As soon as I moved back to Philly, I was 21. And uh, that's where I started getting noticed for ECW. So I was doing shows in uh, Maryland. There's three shows. I did a show in Baltimore. <laughs> Showing a horse barn in West Virginia. Horse barn? Yes. Yeah. 
where we did a reverse battle royal because the ring broke. So all these professional wrestlers had to act like they've never gotten into a ring before. <laughs> so the first one to get in the ring won. One. Did yeah. TNA do some kind of a match like that? I believe so. They stole it from this. They probably did. Yeah. Man. And then I did a show in Pittsburgh for a guy named Norm Connors. And on all three of those shows was Raven and Stevie. Mm-hmm. And uh, What was your wrestling name at the time? <laughs> the very creative uh, Zebra Kid, uh-huh. Brian Rollins. Uh, I called myself the Zebra Kid because I wanted to have a moniker. Right. And I got the, the idea for the Zebra Kid because uh, when I was going to Al Snow School, uh, we went to, I don't know, do you remember K&H? They yeah. made the ring gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. They had Carl and Hildegard, it stood for it. They had a, oh, I they, know. They had a house in uh, middle of nowhere, Ohio, and it's like an hour, half, hour and a half from Al Snow School. So it was like a class trip, you know. So some colleges take class trips to the museums. He's taking us to go get ring gear in near Columbus, Ohio. And you're the zebra kid. Yeah, and I was going through the 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 the, the mix match that like the tights nobody paid for. Oh, so they already had the made. Yeah, they had like a grab box okay. like, of just random stuff. And uh, and was, the, the place was the coolest thing because, like, you know, I'm just getting into business. So this is actually a shop where you go in there and they have all the ring costumes it's, and all this it's, stuff. It's in a house. Oh, okay. Like, but their garage, they converted their garage into this gear-making factory. Mm-hmm. There's sewing machines. On the wall, there's photos of Bret Hart. He was sending Christmas cards to them every year because, you know, he would they would send gear for the kids, too, and stuff so like that. So they made his gear? Yeah, I saw them making Earthquakes gear and stuff like so that. So they were kind of like the place to go to get your stuff made before that, they had the seamstresses in the yeah. back. Yeah, it, it, when you got into business, you went to K&H for your gear, and then you went to B&H or B&M for your boots. And now it's Stagecoach, right? Yeah, sta- yeah Stagecoach. Yeah, yeah Stagecoach is now the leader of you know <laughs> the boots but back then you had to go to and it was like in arkansas or something like that right. so there were sort of two companies so i was going through the uh the 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 you know misfit trunks and i saw these zebra tights and you know being a kid in the 80s i owned a pair of zubas <laughs> who didn't yeah and i was like you know what i'll get this i'll, I'll get a singlet over it you know i'll be badass you know, uh, you know, I'm very 80s minded, so I was like, you know, I actually went and got a Zubaz jacket with the Raiders. I took the Raiders patch off and I had embroidered the Zebra Kid <laughs> embroidered in the back. Rocket science. Right, yeah. yeah. Rocket science, you know. And then uh, I was doing that around the horn. So when Raven and Stevie, I call myself Brian Rollins mm-hmm. at the time. So then Raven and Stevie were on these shows that you're on. Right. And uh, the third show, they finally said, hey, let's. Watch this kid. The only reason why I know that is because I did my match, and it was a horrible match. Uh, at the time, I had like this buzz cut and chin hair going, and everybody said I looked like King Tut from Batman, <laughs> which, ironically, I wrestled a guy doing a Batman gimmick. Uh, of course, he was the good guy. Oh, of course. What was his name? Matt Man? <laughs> no. He, <laughs> he, he was brazen about it. He just said, I'm Batman. Oh, he was yeah. the Batman. Okay. But he was the local guy. He was also doink. Okay. You know, he, he, did, he, was he would do whatever had to be done. Yeah, he had a gimmick table full of other people's merchandise. And, you know, he says to me, kid, I've been in this business a long time. The more they pay me, the more I bump. Tonight, I'm not bumping that much. I'm, I'm like, you know, a year, less than a year in the business. I'm like, wonderful. You're like, all right, Batman. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we had this horrible match. And uh, at least I got to do the moonsault and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, And let me just phrase this. At the time, in about 94, 95, probably 93, 92 I, at this point in time. I, I started training with Al 
March of 94. So, okay. So, but when you're talking about doing a moonsault back in the mid 90s, yeah. it wasn't as, uh, now moonsault is a pretty average move. Guys Common are doing place. it, girls are doing it. Yeah. But back in that time frame, a moonsault was kind of like, <gasps> and when you did one, being however much you weighed, uh, 280, I know, 300. That's well over three. There you go. Uh, to like, do a moonsault was very impressive. And I, I attribute that to guys like Bam Bam Bigelow and, you know, Vader. Remember the headhunters? They were always flipping ben all too. over the place. Ben yeah. Too. They were big guys, too. Yeah. And they, I saw them do it. Bill DeMott. Mm-hmm. He, he, he right. had a great moonsault. Yeah. Well, I mean, Muda was the first one. I, no, I'm sorry. Lanny Poffo was the first one That's I ever right. saw. The, but he did the one-legged one where the foot was still in the second rope, and then he went Yeah. Back. It's like, man, that's impressive. And they didn't even have a name for it yet. You know, that it was, was quite a maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so you do the moonsault on yeah. the show. So so what, what is it that Raven sees in you that makes him want to uh, invite you aboard, so to speak? They uh, had an idea. And Stevie was Raven's lackey. So they wanted to have a lackey to a lackey, like a chain of command of lackeys. Kind of like one of those Russian dolls. One fits into the other one, you know, <laughs> right. down the line. Smaller and smaller. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, they tried to get me a lackey, and that just didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of had one for a bit, but that's it was BWO type stuff, right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he had an idea for uh, Stevie to have a, a lackey, but and the guy they had in mind made me look like Sky Low Low. This guy was huge, but he was you know uh, he couldn't wrestle. He, well, he didn't wrestle. He couldn't bump. And uh, they saw that I was pretty agile for a big guy. And uh, the, the pitch from Raven the next day was like, you know, kid, uh, you know, uh, we had this idea for, you know, Stevie to have a lackey and a lackey. Yeah, I got this idea. <laughs> yeah. My vo- voice is gone, or, or I would have tried the. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're pretty good, and you do a moonsault. You know, you want to be, be Stevie's lackey? I said, so this means I'll be in ECW. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> You'll have to wear a half shirt and Daisy Dukes. I don't care. <laughs> it's an opportunity. <laughs> right. You know, it's a foot in the door. You know, right now I'm just doing shows. So where, where did the character Blue Meanie come from? I mean, Raven. we know where it came from. It's obviously from the Beatles. Yeah. They were the villains in the Yellow Submarine cartoon. Yes. So, but this is Raven's idea? Yeah. Uh, I initially debuted for ECW as just myself. Mm-hmm. I was just a guy in the half shirt Daisy Dukes. And they didn't really introduce me because the night I debuted, it's the night... Uh, Mick Foley and, and Mick, uh, Terry Funk accidentally set a fan on fire. They set a fan on fire? Well, the fan kind of set himself on fire, <laughs> uh, legally. What uh, happened? Uh, welcome to ECW. Yeah. Uh, Mick wrapped, uh, they were doing a spot, Mick and Terry, where Mick wrapped a chair in a t-shirt, taped it to the chair, lit it, you know, had it doused it with whatever fluids, and lit it on fire. So he went to go do this, you know, burning chair shot. Well, not thinking that, you know, fire would melt the tape. The shirt came off and landed on Terry, engulfing Terry. So there was a fan in the front row, and he reached over to try to pat him out. Oh. You know, instincts, you go, oh, no, no, no. Well, yeah, he, he, he burned his arm up, you know. And then he catches on fire. Yeah, so that footage disappeared. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I saw that again. Yeah, so I had to re-debut. Well, in that uh, span of a month, you know, Scotty was watching the Yell Submarine. And, again, here comes Norm Connors, the promoter in Pittsburgh, where they initially asked me if I wanted to, be, you know, be Stevie's lackey. We're driving home from God knows where, Pennsylvania, back to Cherry Hill to where Raven lived. And we're driving through a blizzard. And we're just talking to business. And Raven goes, 
hey, kid, you ever see the uh, the yellow submarine? I go, yeah, I was, when I was a kid. He's like, you remember the Blue Meanies? Uh, the Blue Meanie? I was like, I vaguely remember. He's like, you're going to be the Blue Meanie. I, you know, you're going to want to paint your whole, you know, he, he built it up to where, like, this is the greatest thing. You're going to want to paint your whole body blue. Eh, but just do your hair for right now, you know. And uh, I was like, again, I was like, I'm still going to be an ECW, right? Right. right. I'm in. <laughs> so uh, we drove like six hours from Pennsylvania to where he lived. We waited for Blockbuster Video to open. And uh, we went and rented it. And he made me just watch the Blue Mini parts. And uh, it's Raven was kind of ahead of his time in the fact that I know, agree. He, he's one of the best minds in the business. Uh, but all the stuff they're doing now at the Performance Center now, he was doing back in 95. In what way? Like the skull sessions that they do down in uh, NXT uh, at the Performance Center. He would have me study the tape. And then we go over Stevie's. He would plop a chair in the living room. I would have to stand there by myself, meaning do a promo on toilet paper. Oh, okay. Then as the Blue Meanie, I had to describe toilet paper in character. And it was just a bunch of just brain exercises. Now, did the Meanie kind of have a voice, too? It was kind of like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hunch your shoulders and kind well, of like it, you're, it, you're it, sneaking around. Yeah, like a cat burglar kind right. of. But uh, initially, I was kind of more... To the letter of the law of what he saw as the blue meanie, I was like, you know, the blue meanie. <laughs> but then we started doing parodies, and then I started getting kind of lost in the parodies, and this became myself. Because you really like, even today, you show up. You've got still got blue hair. You got the blue beard. You really made. I have to. <laughs> yeah, it's you, right? Yeah. But you really became that character, and that's the secret to making it in in wrestling, especially when you're playing a, a gimmick, such a gimmick like this. Yeah. You really got lost in the character and committed to it, and really yeah. made it work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the greatest uh, compliments was uh, when I was in WWE. And they did a, a profile on me. I think you were on the cover of the magazine. And they interviewed, you know, they're talking about my ECW days and parodies and all this stuff. And they had Paul, asked Paul E, you know, about me. He's like, you know, he, he called me like a, a method actor kind of where he would give me an idea and then he would watch me go off into a corner and just play the thing out my mind and work over the mannerisms and just try to do it you know like de niro you know would you know if he you know taxi driver he rode around with taxis for the mm-hmm. day or you just go into that mindset to where you just become that character and i don't care if they believe the rest of the show as long as they believe in me right you know and stuff like that so it was just my job to go out there and entertain the fans any way i could well and that was kind of once again i mean the, the sign of a great wrestling company as when the WWE is hot or ECW at the time. Okay, yes, ECW is known for hardcore wrestling and these classic moments, but it also was very much a variety show, and you had a lot of comic relief, yeah. uh, but not stupid comic, legitimately entertaining, funny comedy with you and Stevie yeah. Thank doing you. all of this, you know, of these uh, parodies and all that stuff, because that's what it kind of mutated to. You started out as Raven's f- flock, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better term. There yeah. was a flock later. But then you kind of went on your own. Yeah. Uh, he, he called us the nest. The nest. Yeah. The Raven's nest, yeah. Yeah, and thank you for that, because, you know, if I would have just done everything, done the stuff everybody else on the car was doing, I would just blend it in. Right. You know, just... Uh, you know, I, when I started running, wrestling, I, was, I started promoting shows back in the day, uh, and I w- always used that ECW, ECW plan of, you know, wrestling's like a bowl of checks mix. 
you, you might not like the pretzels, but may, hey, you'll like the peanuts. <laughs> and you know, if you don't like the peanuts, you like the the Chex Mix or right, right, yeah. the pretzel things, yeah, the little there's, there's things. Got, yeah, right. On the show, there's got to be a little bit of everything, you know. And uh, we were the Dog and Pony show, and I owned it. You know, it is as ridiculous as we can get. And we started doing the parodies. And so, yeah. so how, what was the first? Like, tell me about how the parody started. We're uh, we went to pick up Raven at his house, and we're driving, and he's like. You know, he was. You know, Raven's such a student of the the game. Uh, he just was constantly watching old tapes and stuff like that. And he was watching Memphis and thought of, you know, the fabulous ones, uh, Stephen Stan. So he wanted us to come out and proclaim ourselves the new fabulous ones. And I would call myself Stan. He would be Steve. And, and we we uh, went and did the Fargo strut in the ECW arena. And the crowd just went, oh, come on. <laughs> you know? It was the worst Fargo strut. You know, we're trying to do it. And Raven's, you know, D- Raven's doing it to the T. And we're just, we look like, you know, we're about to have a seizure. You know, it's just, you know, they keep it it's as like PC. It's robot slowing like, uh, 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 <laughs> rock him, rock him, sock him. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we did it that night. And then, like, from there, we're, he's like, oh, we, we should do more. So we became the, the uh, Blue Meanie Bloods. You know, that was great because that was based on Regal and Bobby Re- Eaton. And I'm a huge Bobby Eaton mark, right. so especially the mullet. Man, he had the best mullet in the business. <laughs> so what, was, what did you guys do as the as the royal blue? I, I was Sir Meany, the Earl of Eating, because <laughs> Bobby was the Earl of Eaton. <laughs> okay. And he was uh, Lord Stevie. And we had crests on the back of our... Uh, this is great. Our, <laughs> of our T-shirts. And uh, his was like... Somebody doing a, a kung fu kick, and mine was like a plate with a knife and fork, you know, as Cross. like crossbones. Yeah. <laughs> and and we got the powdered wigs, and we had, we came out to the you know pomp and circumstance type music. What like, you do? Are you doing uh, uh, accents as well? Oh yeah, like, give, me one, give me one. Oh. <laughs> Oh, we did a, we did a skit with Todd Gordon where he's trying to pitch. Stevie's trying to pitch everyone, and he brings in Sturmy. I goes, "Hello, Mister Gordon. I, the Earl of Eating, would like to wrestle in ECW." <laughs> you know, I wish they would put this up on the network. You know, we did a series where he keeps pitching all these different characters, and the third one, you know, I come in as you know Sermini, and then he introduces me as Colonel Demini. And I come in as a Colonel De Beers. Yeah. And the third one, I come in as Blue Dust, and I start sprawling across Todd Gordon's office. And he's like, Richards, Richards, Richards. And it cuts away, you know, and I'm like all like gold dust on the desk. Oh, that's where you're like Blue Dust? Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was like, you know, I'm going to you know, I got all these great ideas, and we took over Todd Gordon's office. If what, I could find it on YouTube. What other ones was there? Because uh, you did this for a while, right? Although, yeah, we did we we, we did like one stinker, and that was uh, the Jackson Five, and that one oh. just went over like a fart in church, <laughs> and it got to the point where I was like begging New Jack to, to pretend he was you know outraged by it because he wanted us to wear these Afro. Raven was like, wear Afro wigs, the white shirts, and paint your face black. I was like, no, <laughs> no, I share a locker room with New Jack. I am not painting my face black. That man could kill me. Right. I went New Jack. Hey man, uh, Raven wants us to do the, the Jackson Five, and you know he wants us to paint our face black. Like, can, can you talk him out? He's like, "No, I love the Jackson Five. I want to see you do it." I was like, "You're not helping me, Jack. You're not helping the, the new Jackson Five. Yeah, <laughs> well played. Well, then there was the one where you did paint your faces as Kiss. That was a great oh, one. That was the best one. Was, I mean, yeah. besides the BWO, that was my favorite one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was right when MTV Unplugged came out. And they were just hot, and they're about to go back on tour with the makeup. And you know, again, Raven's like, "Do it!" And uh, 
we, we did a test run the night before the arena in at the Lulu Temple. Uh, Plymouth meeting or whatever. Plymouth meeting. The only uh, the pla- the place of the only meeting between Sabu and Jericho ever. The uh, Lulu Temple. There yes, you go. <laughs> I, I was lucky to be there to, uh, to witness that. That was awesome. It was. But uh, yeah, the Lulu Temple, which they've gone and sold, and it's become something else now. But uh, we, <laughs> the first night, we were, we weren't smart enough to do the acrylic paint, mm-hmm. so we went and did, bought grease paint. Well, it's 90 degrees in the locker room, and it starts running. So for the whole show, we had to find, like, a meat freezer and stand in the meat freezer <laughs> for our cue to go to the ring. So we're just standing there like a bunch of idiots just, you know, you know, shivering and, you know, trying to keep so, our- So you were Gene. I was uh, Meanie Simmons. Meanie, Sim- and, uh, Meanie Simmons, right? And uh, Stevie was, you know, Paul, uh, uh, Paul Stanley. Yeah. Uh, we had Nova was Ace. And then uh, Donnie Allen was Peter Chris, who in true Kiss fashion, we later replaced with El Porto Ricano in Long Island. <laughs> he became Eric Carr. No, no, we kept the makeup. Oh, you still have him as Peter <laughs> Chris. He became Eric Singer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, that, and I was in Long Island. And the look, look at confusion on his face because he had never seen Kiss. He's like, right. He's like, what do I do? Uh, just act like you're playing the drums. <laughs> He'd never seen Kiss? <laughs> no, He's from Puerto Rico, not Zimbabwe. <laughs> Seriously, he's just like, oh, this is so stupid, man. Uh, what am I doing? And like, just play along, Pablo. Was he also a Ubaz? Yeah. The backwards yeah. Sabu? Yeah. yeah. I love you, baby. <laughs> that was the whole gimmick. He would always hug somebody and tell them that I love him. I, I love you, baby. baby. I remember that game. Yeah, and Sabu was like, stop hugging me. <laughs> <laughs> you know how serious Sabu is? Just yeah. go up and hug him. You know? It's just like... I'm, I just got the popcorn in this watch. Yeah, and, uh, watch Sabu slowly boil. <laughs> so you put the makeup on, and then you did it again the next night at the arena. And the next night, it was, the crowd was kind of smarting up to it because some of them had been there the night before. So uh, ECW original, uh, J.T. Smith, mm-hmm. the great J.T. Smith, comes out, and he's the original member of the full-blooded Italian. He's coming out to fly me to the moon. He's like, I got a great new act, you know, uh, and he goes, you know, he's playing. He's a black guy playing an Italian. Yes, yeah. the smarting up the crowd at home, mm-hmm. um, and you know some of the crowd that was there before you hear subtle chants of "We want kiss, we want," and then he goes kiss, and then you know they hit the music and we come out, and it was great until Sandman came out and just waffled us with the. Yeah, you guys were in the ring playing your guitars and stuff. Yeah, I'm a good mimic. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't play a, a, an instrument to save my life, but you know I've watched enough. You know music videos that I can you know fake it pretty good, and the, the pretty cool th- the cool thing about it is they got this like one angle and it, it became like they put it in the opening of the ECW TV show for like a year of where I'm there and the camera tilts and I had spit the blood I couldn't do the fire gimmick you know yeah. because you know we set a fan on fire <laughs> so I, I did the whole uh, food coloring I came out I did the Muda thing because I'm a huge Muda mark too so I sprayed the thing and as I'm doing the playing the bass. I'm let, let out a little puff of air and goes, and like Paulie saw that and he spliced it to fit the the music in the ECW oh, opening, cool. which was pretty cool. Yeah, but yeah, the Kiss thing was so awesome because the, the sign of a good parody is when people just talk about it mm-hmm. years later. To this day, to this day, it's Kiss and, and BWO, right? And then the cool, you know, the cool thing about it is, you know, later on WCW did uh, their version of you know uh, the Kiss gimmick. And the Kiss Demon, yeah, the Kiss yeah. Demon. And uh, he, when he did it, uh, I had met him, 
And he's like, hey, man, I know this isn't as good as yours, but, you know, buttering me up. I was like, dude, you got the, the, the blessing of you this. You got a real costume, too. Yeah, I could have got sued, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, especially if Sandman came out there and just whacked all you guys with the kendo stick. And he sings, I'm going to cane your ass tonight. Yeah. You know. And then we were talking about the BWO. That was the Blue World Order. Yes. Which was another parody almost of the NWO, obviously. Yeah. and that, Same guys? Yeah. It was uh, me. Uh, Stevie as uh, Kevin Nash, and then we had. Uh, Who are you? Oh, I was uh, Scott Hall, the blue guy. Okay, say hello I said to the, the blue bad guy. guy. The blue guy was oozing blue cheese mouth, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Nova was Hollywood Hogan. And it was, the funny thing is, like you know, we're. we're it was almost comedic, you know. We're arguing like, who wants to be who? I was like, no, Stevie, you can't be Hogan. You're you're taller than everybody. Nash is the tallest, and we're trying to use logic, you know. It's like BWO logic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it was like Kangaroo Court, you know. <laughs> and uh, we finally said, and then we had a uh, you know somebody be X Pac, you know, Seven Eleven, Donnie Allen. Yeah. Oh no, that was that was <laughs> somebody uh, else. Yeah, that was a uh, Rob Feinstein. So, oh, okay, Feinstein played him. Yeah, and. Uh, well, which was a great idea because you know, at the time, X-Pac had the camcorder. Feinstein was already at ringside recording our shows. All the stuff, yeah. So they would just splice his footage into the fan cam footage. <laughs> ah. so, so, like, behind the scenes, it was like, I, I see what you did there. And, uh, dude, that was supposed to be a one-night deal. And it lasted a good 10 to Even to this day, you gave me a BWO t-shirt when you came in here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What was it like um, being in ECW at that time? Because that's when it was at at its peak. Maybe not, you know, it was before I got TV, before there was pay-per-views, so that might have been a bigger company, perchance. Mm-hmm. But the buzz on the company was massive around 95, 96. Yeah. What was it like to, to be working there? It was a blessing, man. Uh, you know, I, I never got paid a million dollars in this business, but I got paid in really good experience and mm. good life lessons. Uh well, the cool thing about getting the ECW, I was watching it before I was even in the business. It started airing it locally here on Sports Channel Philadelphia uh, every Thursday, I believe. And then you know it, it started picking up. And then like the first milestone show for ECW was the night the line was crossed. That's the first night they legitimately drew 1,200 fans to see Sabu, Terry Funk, and Shane Douglas in the three-way. But if you watch a lot of those early ECW shows, you see me in the crowd. <laughs> uh, I just did ECW on release volume three for the WWE, and I talk about how I was in the crowd for the very first Public Enemy match. And they go through the footage and they show me in the front <laughs> row with my, you know, my hair and you know, marking out and stuff like that. <laughs> so to be able to go from somebody who was in the crowd every ECW show, I move away for a year to train with Al Snow, and I come back and I start, I start, tra- I start making trips back home i'm going to get back to the point but like, that's right yeah. uh i started making trips back home to see my grandfather who was pa- who's dying of cancer so I, w- I would 
I, I love my grandfather, but I circled those you know tri- dates around ECW trips. So I'd <laughs> yeah. go home for a week, and then you know that Friday and Saturday I would see an ECW show, and right after the last ECW show, I would head straight back to Ohio. Right back, yeah. So you know I was making my face known, and like Al Snow wrestled for ECW, so I showed up with him once or twice, and one of my uh, student, my my co-students at Al Snow was John Pee Wee Moore. He was refereeing at oh, ECW. That's right, yeah. He was like Sabu's guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one time I hung around after a TV taping on a Sunday. He's like, can I go back to Al's with you? It's like, sure. So I hung out and watched guys do promos, you know, and, you know, guys like uh, Taz and Sabu and Paulie kind of got, and Dreamer got familiarized with me, you know, just seeing me there. And then I did a show in Michigan for Sabu. Uh, Sabu was running NWA Michigan and, uh, you know how wrestling it's everybody wants to be Vince and stuff like that everybody uses the same guys and they say oh, if you wrestle for me you can't do that yeah I got one show a month but <laughs> yeah <laughs> right Sabu was like you know what I'm going to use all Al students you know I'm going to use you know kid people I'm going to use wrestlers you know that's you know fresh to this area mm-hmm. so I did a show for Sabu where you know we were doing a hair versus <laughs> me and this kid did a hair versus hair match and we had a double DQ so we're like, ha ha, we're not getting our head shaved when technically we should have got both guys. Both guys, yeah. We're like telling the you know, crowd, ah, we're not getting our head shaved. Sabu and Paul Lee hit the ring. And they, you know, Sabu nails me with the chair, nails him with the chair. I feed up. Paul Lee hits me with the phone. Paul Lee hits the other kid with the phone. You know, I'm feeding up. I, I see, you know, the ringside camera guy. So I knew that, you know, they make my facials great and all this stuff. So Sabu starts shaving my head. Paul Lee shaves my head. So I started showing up to ECW months later, and you know, once I've, I'm officially in the company, I uh, I went up to the TV studios, and Paulie's looking at me, and he's got this look. He goes, "You're the kid. We shaved his head on Sabu show." And absolutely, he's like, hey, like, yeah, like, yeah. "Like a light bulb went off." Right, so right, right. I think he saw, you know, that how, you know, uh, the potential pers- persistent yeah. I was oh, being. Okay. I was being persistent, you know, but not being annoying about it, mm-hmm. you know. You know, it wasn't like uh, that guy in the Goodfellas. I want my money, Jimmy. I want my money, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. I, everybody got their money. I want my money, Jimmy. Yeah. And he gets whacked. Yeah. I, I'm, hi, I'm here if you yeah. need any help. You don't I, want to get whacked. Yeah. <laughs> I have my gear in the car if there's an opportunity. You know, and so I start showing up ECW shows. So I got into ECW right at the hottest point. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, was, it was October 95, uh, the night we set the fan on fire, allegedly. And then uh, November to remember '95 was the first official appearance of the Blue Meanie in ECW. Right. Gotcha. He had me do it on one independent show after that, but oh, then that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, like you said, there was such a buzz about it. Like, if you know, working in Japan, for example, like the magazines would just be filled with pictures of ECW, and yeah. it was almost like you would rather work there than work in WCW. Yeah. Or you know, Smoky Mountain or any place like that. Uh, ECW had that. It was. It was. It had a, a hip factor to it. Mm. It, was, it was like very punk rock. Good very, point. Yeah, very punk rock. It's very. I, I, I compare it to the the Rocky Horror Picture Show meets the movie Slapshot. Mm. Kind of. It's just you know the fans were the Rocky Horror Picture Show crowd. They knew the chance. They knew the wrestlers. They did the research. They traded the tapes. They went to every screening. You know. <laughs> yeah. You know the locker room was like Slapshot, <laughs> and the, the wrestlers were a lot like the land of uh, misfit toys. And it was, I was just very fortunate, right place, right time, because, you know, I lived right, I live right in South Philly, so I walk around, and everybody's like, ECW, ECW, and it was like the cool thing, you know, I'd, you know, I'd rather have, you know, it's like you got street cred, 
Yeah, he's been there. He's some very cool street cred, you know, working at ECW. And uh, who who was? I mean, um, you mentioned that Raven had a lot of ideas. Was Paulie uh, contributing a lot of ideas to you guys as well? Or did he kind of leave it up to Raven? Paulie let a lot of guys just you know come up with ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, he was very open. I mean. If you go to uh, you know certain shows, you don't see the promoter until after a show. He's handing your envelopes and stuff like that. Paulie would set up a table right in the middle of the locker room with his pad and paper and just gaze at the room and just feel the room and just individually call people over. You know, mm. have a, or have a referee come get you. Really? Yeah, yeah. And then you you wouldn't know what you're doing until you showed up. Uh, except for like one time when Raven found out he was wrestling Terry Gordy and then. You know, Raven. You know, Raven knew I was a big Terry Gordy mark, so he was asking me about Gordy and what does know, he do? And yeah, yeah, what's his moves? What's he do? You know, he does the Asian spike, and you know. but you know, Paulie was very open. Uh, Raven created a lot of the characters. He created me. He uh, helped Stevie. He helped Sandman learn how to sell. You know, I mean, say what you want about Sandman, but his his psychology got eons better working with Raven every night. Oh yeah, of course. How could it not? Exactly. Right. You you had no choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know uh, you know he created the Dudleys, uh, and he brought pretty much all the girls in except for like Francine. He brought in Beulah, Kimona, and uh, you know he gave them. He, he, he and, and when he would call a match, learn, listening to him call a match was like homework. It was and and cool homework. I mean, you would learn timing. You know. You know, in, act, in, in moving, they call it beats. Mm-hmm. You know, and he would kind of do that. He's like, I'll shoot him in, count to two, slide in, take the cane shot, powder out. You, Stevie, you see Meanie roll out, you pop him in. You know, you get uh, you get hit with the DDT or whatever. And just hearing him lay out a match, you couldn't help but mm-hmm. learn. So, I mean, Paulie was smart enough because Paulie's a genius in his own. But he was smart enough to know, let other people, you know, Contribute to the orchestra. Who else were um, like if Paulie was, let's say, the the leader of the of the of the team? Who else were his like main generals? You mentioned Raven. Uh, Raven, uh, Dreamer. Mm-hmm. Dreamer was like the uh, the mob conciliary. If you had a, a grieve, he was like the union boss. <laughs> you know, I really don't feel like doing this kiss spot with Chili Willie tonight. Dream. <laughs> <laughs> he'd go to Paulie, he'd go to Paulie and he'd come back. He's like, and then Paulie would come over and goes, no, 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 you don't really have to kiss him. You just Lean in, put your hand over his mouth, kiss your own hand, and let it go. And then people think you kissed Chili Willy. <laughs> and then he would explain it in such a way. You go, I'm kissing Chili Willy yeah, tonight. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he was like the uh, the the, uh, the union boss, uh, Taz. Uh, and then Bubba came along. I mean, Bubba came along. He started helping out, you mm-hmm. know, especially, you know, doing promotions because he's very – He's very intelligent. I oh mean, yeah, he uh, very he's a great business, salesman, great businessman. Yeah, very business savvy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something we try to teach over at the Monster Factory now, where I'm one of the coaches. You know, you got to be savvy about promoting yourself. You know? Absolutely. If you don't promote yourself, yeah. why should anybody else? That's right. The phone's not going to just ring for you. Yeah, yeah. Like CM Punk said, uh, you ain't going to change the world sitting on your couch. Yeah. So and uh, yeah, and then th- those those guys were, you know. The office, kind of, you know, little Guido would help out the uh, the, the warehouse. You know, Devon Dudley was helping out the the warehouse selling merchandise with, along with Dreamer, and you know, Taz designed all the T-shirts. Oh, Taz did. Yeah, Taz, very talented. Like all the logos and stuff. That was all Taz. All right. And then, like, you'd order that shirt, you see Taz design, and then it's Tommy, little Guido, or Devon Dudley packaging it up and mailing it. Really. 
So it's almost like a, a, a family operation, so to speak. Yeah, and before that, when uh, Todd Gordon was still with the company, his, he had an office above his store in, at Carver W. Reed, and Gabe Sapolsky and Stevie Richards worked there taking ticket orders. So if you called, you were talking to Stevie Richards, <laughs> and he would make up a gimmick name like uh, Lloyd Van Buren, you know. <laughs> Hello, ECW, uh, Lloyd speaking. Art Vandalay. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And Stevie would take your ticket or swipe your, you know. Wow, okay. Yeah, so I was, I mean, you're working different gimmicks. I mean, you're working your gimmicks in the ring, you're working your gimmicks behind the, the scenes. Do, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, Brad Pitt said, you know, when he wanted to learn how to act, he got a job as a telemarketer. Calling people, he would call different people as different characters. Right. He'd call somebody with a southern accent, or he called this other guy, guys, yo, I'm from New York. You know, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Just, stuff, yeah. Yeah, so, like, Steve would just have a fun with it, just be these different guys. The guy's like, is this Stevie Richards? He's like, no. No, this is the exact opposite. Never heard of him. This is totally not Stevie Richards, the King of Swing Esquire. <laughs> you mentioned Bubba Ray, and then something just popped in my head. One of the best uh, scenes was you and Bubba doing the mirror image thing where you looked at each other and put your right hand. Yeah. You kind of looking at that. That was incredible. It was that a great that was all his idea. I got to give him all. And the funny thing, I just saw Bubba two months ago. Uh-huh. He's on the other side of the. Uh, we're at uh, Legends of the Ring convention he's at a vendor table i'm at a vendor table and we make eye contact across the room i go i put my arm up and we both start doing the spot across the room because <laughs> to us that was like one of the funnest things we ever did it's great it was it was a nod to the marx brothers mm-hmm. uh like uh i think it was beepo marx whoever the one had the, the popcorn hair the uh, blonde hair. zippo or yeah beepo yep. i think it's one of the mongolians <laughs> Okay, my bad. <laughs> I think it's Zippo, yeah. Yeah, one of them you know, saw themselves in the, in the mirror and started doing the whole thing. And that's it was an ode to the Marx Brothers. And again, that was at the uh, the Cylinder of Sin at the, the top of the travel lodge at like 3 in the morning. You know. Whatever it would be. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, what, uh, when did um, – because uh, were you in ECW until the end? Were you there the whole time it was no. on TV and everything? Or I was there from uh, October 95 until – November of two no November ninety eight. Oh, okay, so you were gone a few years before. Yeah, yeah. I almost went to WWE a little bit earlier, but then that got botched. Uh, and then like later on, I got calls from Al Snow saying, "Hey, uh, you work in ECW?" I'm like, "Yes." And he goes, uh, "How are you under contract?" I go, "No." He goes, uh, "How loyal are you to Paulie?" I was like, "Well, no. I like working here, but I, what's up?" He's like. If you had an opportunity to be in the WWE and be a part of the job squad, would you do it? I was like, absolutely. You know? Oh, okay. And, and it's like kind of like cloak and dagger, <laughs> you know? Because uh, one time I was supposed to come uh, – one time I was at home and I was on AOL back in the day. And I get an IM from Al Snow going, where are you? Where were you? I go, what are you talking about? I'm home. He goes, you were supposed to be at TV Monday. I go, what are you talking about? He's like, your name was on the lineup sheet. They had music for you. They had an entrance planned. For WWE? Yeah, in Baltimore. Huh. And you weren't there. I was like, I said, Al, you know me. If there was an opportunity to do that, I would have been there. He goes to Vince Russo. It turns out WWE asked Paulie, asked Candido, they asked Paulie if they could use me because they wanted to do a parody of uh, the Nitro Girls. I was going to be the Raw Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, because I was already doing the parodies. Right. So they want me to come in and do the whole dance routine and stuff like that. And then, you know, Candido said Paulie told me to show up to the TVs, and they never told me. 
So it was like a rib on WWE. Oh. So the next time, you know, and, you know Ventru- and he, Al went to Ventruso, explained the whole thing, and squashed it. So I didn't look bad. I didn't get Because that could have hurt my career, you know. Sure. Uh, we, had, we had to give this guy an opportunity. Oh, yeah, yeah. He didn't he, show up. Right. Yeah, that could have killed me. Yeah. But, you know, this time, Russo went to Al. Al went to me. I said, absolutely. And, of course, I tried to call Paul, and Paul didn't call me back. Dreamer called me back. It's like, hey, man, you got to do what you got to do. You know, mm-hmm. it might not be the next rock, but it's an opportunity to help your family. And Tommy Sure, was, of course. And then I called my tag partner, Nova. I didn't want him finding out online. You know, I said, hey, man, I got this opportunity. And he was driving to the next town because uh, – that weekend they were in Florida, and he drove down with the sound guy to save money on the trans. And I would fly down, and then uh, I said, like, "Man, this," it's like, "Go do it." Mm-hmm. And then the cool thing is, later on that night, he called me from the locker room, and they passed the phone around to all the boys. Oh, and that's the, cool! And all the boys said, "Congratulations, go do it." You know, and yeah, and kill it. And Which is I mean, that helps. You know, you're gonna you're gonna do it anyways, but that that yeah. helps that you get the blessing of your peers. Exactly. I mean, and that's another thing about ECW. You know, the locker room, we all looked out for each other. I mean, yeah. I mean, we we were competitive. We all wanted to have the best match on the show, and steal the show. But you know, ultimately, like if I came back from the locker room, Bigelow would pull me aside, and be like, you know, I saw you a little winded out there. You're a big guy like me. If gonna go out there keep your have a strong set of wheels man just get on the bike do some mm. cardio strengthen your legs you know i know you got a, an image to you know keep up but you know he's like there's nothing worse than you know sucking wind and your legs feel like rubber bands he's like i'm telling you man it's big man keep your wheel strong right and guys would pull you know tommy rich would pull me aside and give me advice after a match because we wrestled that you know we wrestled the fbi every night we were wrestling tracy smothers who's awesome he's an unsung hero there's I a lot agree. of unsung, yeah. unsung heroes in ecw tracy's mothers is one of them little guido and tommy rich and that learning tree was phenomenal you know, and then we go in the back and they, uh, they would pull me aside and critique the match yeah mm. you had instant feedback right right from They're, guys that, that had some really good experience yeah i mean raven would do teach classes on promos he'd bring in like uh you know continental wrestling and you know danny doring chris chatty roadkill I would go in there and and we'd watch it. And as the match is going on, he would pause it and explain what's going on in the match and the psychology mm. of the match. And, you know, and he would do the skull sessions with the CW kids, you know, here's a topic, cut a promo. Right. And this is all the way up until he went to WCW. He was doing this with the young guys. So every, it, all the veterans were helping the young guys. Who were some of the other unsung heroes in ECW? You mentioned Tracy's mothers being one uh, of Tracy's mothers would take all the boys in the ring before the show do calisthenics do drills you know kind of japanese style yeah and then you would have a, a like a dark match technically in front of just the boys mm-hmm. uh and you know just just work it out Tommy, uh, Tommy rogers got rest his soul who just passed away mm-hmm. he was very instrumental helping a lot of the young guys and he would tag with like chris chetty and stuff like that and he was uh, a great a uh, great worker under under yeah, underrated underrated yeah and he, he was he was good with pulling the boys aside too tommy rich would pull the boys aside uh unsung heroes like you know ron and charlie who would you know work ungodly hours to make sure the tvs were edited. what's his name uh there's uh ron and charlie ron ron buffone and uh, charlie who were they like producers produced? of the show yeah, Charlie was at ringside with the you know the the handheld and okay, and then Ron would be up with the the, the hard cam and you know they would you know tape the show, rush to the hotel with the cameras, tape the show, edit all day Sunday, Monday, 
till like the break of dawn, and then they would have the TV TVs shipped to every television station. So we made air. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm, I'm I'm sure there's uh, you know. Uh, Bob Ortiz and his wife Lex in the early days of ECW. ECW was born on the, the the concept of filling the void because there was initially a wrestling promotion before ECW called Tri-State Wrestling right. Alliance. Joel Goodhart. Joel Goodhart. And Todd Gordon was one of the financial backers. For whatever reason, you know, Tri-State closes. It's kind of explained on the, the DVD I gave you. And then one day, uh, Todd Gordon, uh, Bob Ortiz who was, or, you know, the ECW ring announcer, uh, his wife, Lex, and uh, Larry Winters, who's an, another unsung hero to the, the Philly area. They all came up with the concept of ECW. They're like, let's just run some shows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all became... Because there was a big area, a uh, big, uh, like you said, open open hole in the market yeah. for, for shows. Yeah, Yeah. other than that, there was, you know, Dennis Corluzzo would run uh, NWA. Yeah, of course, right, 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 right. And uh, that became a little rivalry. Uh, rival. Mm-hmm. For a little while, and yeah. ECW, yeah, yeah. You're talking about ECW being kind of a family organization. Then you're going to the biggest family organization, going to go work for the McMahons and work for Absolutely. Vince. How was that for you to make that transition from ECW and walk into the doors of WWE? I got a great story because uh, I almost blew it my first weekend in. But uh, the coolest thing is, I got the call from Al. Two hours later, Bruce Pritchard calls, gets all my vitals, my Social Security, and all stuff. Okay, show up Sunday. And the coolest thing was leaving my bedroom, walking 20 feet to the living room where my mom and my grandmom was. I said, well, uh, put all the bills in my name. They're like, why? I said, well, I just signed with the WWF. And my knee, my grandmom's knees almost buckled. She went, what? I'm, I'm going to wrestle for WWE. And just the, the the look on her face was worth its weight in gold because up until you know people are like oh I paid dues in the business my family paid dues in this business supporting my, my hobby mm-hmm. you know they you know when I was off playing wrestler for fifty bucks they were you know making sure there was food on the table roof over my head right I'm paying it back now in spades mm-hmm. I put everything in my I paid for all the bills I paid for all our mess and all this so. The fact that I would, you know, got the, you know, you said I would go work for another family company, which gave my family, the, you know, the best. My grandma had passed two years later, but I gave her the best last two years of her That's life. That's great. Yeah. And I, you know, I will never fault, the, you know, any WWE for anything. You know, we, you know they eventually released me, and but you were uh, there for a while though. Two years. Two, oh, was it two years? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I showed up. Uh, I debuted on Sunday Night Heat. Uh, I did a. Did a run in to help uh, Job Squad member uh, Gilberg. Gilberg was wrestling. Who was on the Job Squad? Al? Al, Gilberg, Scorpio, Bob Holly. And then I was like the, the last <laughs> last one in. And then it, it disbanded after that. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I ran in to help Gilbert try to beat, you know, uh, Christian. And then the brood runs in and we have a big brouhaha and stuff like that. So I debuted that weekend. And uh, being a typical indie wrestler, I was like, okay. Uh, I will wrestle Philly. I'll drive to Baltimore. Raw's in uh, Baltimore. They had to Raw, and then they do do Raw on Tuesdays, and that would be the tape delay Raw the next week. So the next one was in, like, Hartford, Connecticut. So I was like, you know what? I'll just drive to Hartford right from Baltimore. And then uh, Earl Hebner was like, no, dummy, we fly you now. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I was like, okay, uh, excellent. So I rode down to Baltimore with Al. I was traveling with Al Snow, Mick Foley, and Bob Holly. Go to Baltimore. 
do Raw. I uh, do a spot where I run in to help uh, Dwayne Gill beat Mark Merrow. Mm-hmm. I shove Mark Merrow off the top row, peep in some one, two, three. Uh, and then the next morning we go to fly to Hartford. We get to the airport and I go to the, the ticket counter, get my ID, answer the three stupid questions that I don't answer, ask anymore. And uh, I was like, man, seat 1A, that's first class. <laughs> I was like, I go down, I go, that's pretty close up front of the plane, ain't it? He goes, oh, yeah, that's that's that's, that's first class, all right. I'm like, and I got I got like this knot in my <laughs> yeah. stomach. Only in wrestling could you feel bad about getting a first class yeah. seat. Yeah. So I'm like, oh. So I get on the plane, and I kind of like pop my collar up. Hopefully nobody sees me. I get in my seat. I'm sitting right next to the boss man, Shawn Michaels and Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> so I'm like, oh. And then guys are walking on the plane and they're like looking at me, giving me the fish eye. And I knew I was in trouble when uh, Mick Foley got on the plane. Looked at me and went, "Oh, meanie, oh, oh no, <laughs> meanie, no, oh." I go, "Help, help, help, Mick!" <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what to do. Right? You know, I wasn't used to flying. Yeah, ECW just drove. Yeah, and they only flew me like the last couple months of my my tenure there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we get off. We go to the baggage claim. You know, China's. Oh no! During the flight, <laughs> I'm sitting there. You know, you know trying not to have a nervous breakdown you know and you know talking to boss man and stuff and i hear why the fuck is the blue meanie in first class and i'm like oh i just if there was a door next to me i would just open it <laughs> and just did, jump out yeah did, <laughs> done the nesty plunge out the door <laughs> who yelled it out i i, I don't know <laughs> somebody I, I was, uh, but i get off you know china's giving me the eye like how could you mm-hmm. mark henry's like you done fucked up, man. <laughs> and I, we get to the baggage claim, and like Delo's like, I would have gave my chair to a veteran. I went, I turned out. Why didn't you tell me? Yeah. So we're driving to the building, and I'm just like the whole time. I'm like, Hey, Al, nobody's going to shit my bag tonight, are they? <laughs> and Bob Holly's like, I don't think they shit in bags anymore. Uh, I think we moved on to other things. <laughs> yeah. Now we just bury you and get you fired. <laughs> yeah. So I get pulled into it. Like the whole time, I'm like, Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I get pulled into an office with Jerry Briscoe and Jack Lander, and I love Jerry Briscoe. Yeah. He, we just had him at the Monster Factory for a seminar, and he was just like, Meanie, I know, I know you're new here. I know you made a mistake. And I, we know you won't make that mistake twice. I went, absolutely not. And then Bob Holly spoke up and said, he's genuinely sorry, you know. And That's I, cool that Bob Holly was sticking up for you because he's a pretty, uh, pretty mean guy. He's when he an wants intense to dude. Yeah. But for some reason, I just made him laugh. Mm. And then, I, like, uh, I really got my break with WWE. Uh, one weekend, uh, I showed up to a house show that I wasn't even booked on. I just went to say hi. And uh, Pat Patterson was there and says, hey, do you have your gear? I went, absolutely. He's like, go get your gear. Uh, you go to ring with Job Squad. I was like, and I managed the job squad, which was Scorpio and Bob Holly against Edge and Christian. So uh, from there, something happened where they let Scorpio go. So I felt his spot in on the road, and that's where I started making the real money. Mm -hmm. And it was me and uh, Bob Holly against Edge and Christian for a good loop. And then sometimes they would break it up where it's just me and Christian for a good couple months. And I was having the most fun of, of my life there. And, you know, Bob. You know, like Timo with me. I like Timo with Bob because it was two contrasting right, styles. Right, two styles, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, we would, we would shoot Edge and Christian in the thing, and he'd go to whip me into them to do the double splash. 
and I legit didn't have to run. He just pulled me and then threw you right across. It's like sling. <laughs> so, so you mentioned how, how uh, you had that time in WWE, but then you came back for the one night stand pay per view. Yeah, flash forward to two thousand five, which was a huge deal and still a pretty cool moment because it was the one time that Vince actually like embraced the ECW culture yeah. and acknowledged it and actually was a, a pretty damn good show. Yeah, and and the. the, the I mean, everybody's depressed DCW went out of business the first time. I don't think they were. I mean, they were depressed that they were no longer going to be working, but the last show was in, like, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. You know, we had done the, the arena the week before. If you're going to have the, you know, if you, yeah. know you're, if you know you're going to close shop, do it at the arena. <laughs> yeah, not, not in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, Bowleg, Arkansas, <laughs> wherever it was. I forget. Right, right. And then, uh, you know, a lot of guys were just, like, really bummed out. And, you know, I call those the year from 2000 to 2004 my dark years i just mm -hmm. battled depression and uh kind of lost my way you know especially with the meanie character because i'd lost 160 pounds for wow. wwe asked me to lose 160 pounds and then uh, they still fired me yeah so oh uh, they asked you to lose the weight and they, then when you lost the weight they fired you yeah oh. they, they teased my release the first time and uh they kevin kelly asked me to come on bite this their their cyber show at the time and he's like, you know, during the course of the interview, sorry to you, you, you let go, but uh, you'll lose the weight next time, right? I was like, oh, so this is all about getting me to lose weight. Mm. So JR called me. There's been a reprieve from the uh, the warden. Uh, you're, he's going to keep you around. And I was like, all right. So I was like, I started losing the weight. I started going to uh, Headbanger Masha's brother, who's a nutritionist, mm -hmm. right over here in Jersey. I dropped like 160 pounds within – it's seven months. Wow. And they sent me to Memphis because I, I didn't look like the media anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was going to do like this gimmick where I, I grew like the thin beard. And I got the spiky hair. I was, uh, and the big, big band at the time was Smash Mouth. And he had, <laughs> and he had the cool button-up shirt, like yeah. bowling shirts. And he was, was kind of a bigger guy. Yeah. Too. I was kind of guy. I was kind of working towards doing that. And then my grandma got sick. Okay. So I was like, hey, can I go see my – she got pancreatic cancer and she didn't have much time. So I – you know, drove back to Philly, and then uh, you know they eventually let me go, uh, which I totally get. You know, it's right. business. So you know, I go back to ECW for that short run, and then ECW closes. <laughs> I had a chance to go to WCW, and then they closed. <laughs> Stupidly, I should have went to WCW, but it's like trying to choose between the Hinderberg or the Titanic. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? you're, you're screwed either. I was way. like, if I'm going to go down with the ship, I'll go out with my friends in ECW. <laughs> so what happened when I stand with you in JBL? There oh, was yeah. some kind of a fight or something like this, right? Well, uh, was that I, been overblown or is that legit? I'll, I'll preface this that we've worked out everything. Oh, out. Okay, yeah, we're, yeah. we're cool now. Cool. Uh, but like my, during my whole tenure there, you know, from '98 to 2000, it was just like. I, it was, I don't want to say hazing, but it was bullying, mm -hmm. you know, you know, uh, whether it be you know, taking shots in the match, you know, and, or we'd be on a plane and, you know, he's telling the story about some fat fuck and, you know, he's referencing you. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally so kind of JBL at the time. He was very bully esque. Yeah. He was talking about Vader to Matt. He's like him and Matt Hardy were behind me. He's like, yeah, look at that Vader doing a moonsault with funny hair. Imagine a big fat guy with funny hair doing a moonsault. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, he's talking about me and I'm not going to sell it. Right. You know, grip my teeth. I have a family to support. I'm not going to start a fight. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to buy my time. I only have to see him at the arena. I don't know. So my whole two years, it was like that, you know, and then like, you know, we'd work, we'd work the loop and, you know, I'm walking home like, like somebody tell these guys it's fake. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Which is it's not. I mean, it sounds crazy coming from a guy who worked in ECW. Well, East Devon didn't necessarily mean being stiff, though. Right. It just meant, you know, it was hardcore, but like it wasn't that you're punching each other in the face right. as hard as you can. Right. You it know, wasn't it was like di- jackass. There's a know, difference, you, right. You know, you know, you get rabbit, rabbit punches to the base of your skull, and I'm like, what the yeah. fuck's going on? I just want to work and go home and alive. Mm-hmm. So I did an interview when I left WWE. I, you know, I said I had a great time in WWE. I saw the world. You know, Vince, I got paid to see the world in, in Vince McMahon's time. I, I thank I thank WWE. I was like the only thing is, you know, JBL was kind of an asshole, mm-hmm. and that soundbite became. It's like I, I talk, oh, yeah. I talk about the grapevine a lot, and like I say, I, I'm one of the coaches of Monster. I tell people, watch what you say, especially now that the day is social media where everybody can just take your words and distort them. Mm-hmm. You know, for people who don't know what the grapevine is, you know, in grade school, like third grade, the teacher would whisper something in your ear. You turn around, whisper it to somebody else, and by the time it gets to the thirtieth like campfire game, yeah, yeah, there's a great scene like that in uh, Johnny Dangerously, where you know Johnny and the Mothers are playing the Savoy tonight. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that, and I said he was a bully, and it probably said, you know, he's the base. yeah, yeah, I want whatever. To kill him. Yeah, right. Yeah, whatever, however, got to him. So we get to one night stand. And this is you're hired for one night, basically. Yeah. They bring yeah. in on a one-night deal. Yeah. I was kind of depressed when they announced it. And I didn't get called to do it till like two weeks before. Oh, I'm okay. Like, I'm like, oh, man, are they, <laughs> they going to call me? But they called me, and I was relieved, and then we get there. And I saw John before that thing, you know, hey, John, how you doing? Hey, Brian, how you doing? <sighs> and we even practiced the deal where the ECW guys faced off with the WWE. It's a big schmoz at the end, right? Yeah. Or, or in it, it, it started with. At the uh, beginning or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we didn't do anything until Kurt Angle and Taz start throwing punches and then, you know, then and we, we, I'm sorry then it's a brawl yeah yeah uh, so like you know we're just doing like come on tough guy dude, I'm gonna beat you up you know that kind of stuff back and forth so we practiced all that flash forward to the show and uh, we go to do it you know I'm like looking at you know uh, like one of the bastions I'm like oh look at you cue ball whatever blah 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 See Bradshaw, hey, cowboy, I'll kick your butt, you know, all that stuff. And then, like, he stopped and, like, looked at me. Like, I was, he was a bull, and I was wearing a red shirt. <laughs> and I went, oh, shit. It's <laughs> like, I just said something about his hat. And, you know, like, uh, the brawl breaks out. And before, I'd, I'd playing with Danny uh, Basham. I was like, yeah, let's, we're never going to work with each other again. Let's just throw a couple hands or whatever. Mm. So we're throwing hands. Now, two nights before, I did, there was an ECW reunion show thrown by uh, Jeremy Borash. And uh, during a, a spot with Raven and Sandman, Sandman split me wide open with a chair. So I had like this crescent moon scar. Which, uh, I had like eight staples there. Okay. And like the last two, you definitely could tell the guy didn't Novocaine me up. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, we're there. I had the crescent moon scar. I feel this punch right on the scar. Oh. And I, I'm, I reach, I go, what the hell? I turn around, there's JBL, and starts throwing shots, and he pull, does the hockey thing, pulls my <laughs> shirt over my face, starts throwing, you know, live rounds. And he's got a fistful of rings, and so I was like, I ain't gonna take this. So I just snatched a headlock, you know, as much as I could on a six-six man, <laughs> and I start throwing punches back, uh, and we kind of get pulled apart. You know, uh, Ben Wall walks up to me and, you know, everybody thought I bladed it. And they're like looking at me. Ben Wall's looking at me. I was like, JBL just shot on me. 
So he goes, powders off with somebody. Tracy's mother's like, meaning what happened? And I'm, everybody's coming up. What happened? I was like, him. He just shot on me. And I've, at the end, if you see it, Sandman wraps his cane around JBL, and Tracy's mother's comes off and start laying haymakers. To, he's wow. Like, he's like, foo, 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 foo. <laughs> and Bubba Ray reaches in and yanks him out and says, mm. you know, get to the back. Right. So we're doing a celebration. I'm a bloody mess, but I was like, you know what? I'm in the ring with Steve Austin. You know, we're just drinking beers. I just put a beer on my face and drink <laughs> the other one. We do the celebration. I go back, and Johnny Ace meets me at the curtain. He goes, what the hell was that? I was like, what? I was like, JBL shot on me. He's like, or no, no. He said, who told you you could blade? I was like, I didn't. He, he, JBL, he's like, what? I gave him the, the cliff. I gave him the elevator pitch of the heat that we had. You know, I was like, hey. This, this, that. He's like, that's unacceptable. We don't do that here, blah, blah, blah. And I walk further into the gorilla position, and there's JBL. He's like, you were talking about me on the internet. I was like, crap. I was like, dude. Was, right. Was I wrong? <laughs> Did you, <laughs> you, <laughs> you're having a hard time proving me wrong here. So, uh, you know, long story short, like, uh, I went, well, WWE did the right thing. They stitched me up. Uh, they gave me, you know, they doubled my pay for that night. Oh, that's cool, yeah. Yeah, like Hebner came and found me, and he had paid me earlier. He, he's like, here's another X mm. amount. You know that's coming from the top. Yeah. yeah. I said, thank you. You know, and on the way home, I, I drove up there with Francine, uh, referees Jim Milo, John Finnegan, because they live right around here. And they were going to pull over and take me right to the emergency room because mm. I was, like, kind of blacking out in the car. And the next day, I took the photo. I posted it online. And, you know, the Internet ran with it. And then I was like, you know, the more people were like, you know, that's effed up. I started getting angry. The, the, the point I got the angriest is when I had to go down to the living room and my mom had to see my oh, face. Oh, yeah. So, I had, you know, I, not only did I already have the thing in the back of my head, but I had this huge Frankenstein st- stitch down my hair. My eye was out. And my the mo- my mom looked at me and she winced and turned her head. I was like, mm. it's like I said, F that. Yeah. Know, fuck that. So I kind of started writing blogs about it. I was like, you know, there's, there's a trust in this business. You know, I'm feeding you my body and you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> a couple months later, uh, well, not like maybe like a month later, two months later, Dreamer calls me. He goes, hey, man, uh, we want to bring you in, you know, do this show. Uh, we're switching Stevie from Velocity to SmackDown. We kind of, and this was talked about at One Night Stand because Nova, who was a member of the BWO, was off in the office at the time. He's like, we're kind of talking about bringing you back in. Did you know, have, you know, the BWO be the catalyst from Stevie going from velocity to SmackDown. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of, you know, it was in the talks, but like the whole JBL thing pushed it to the, the front burner. So, uh, you know, I, <laughs> famous words, Tommy goes, this has nothing to do with JBL, man. <laughs> uh, we're just bringing you in, do the things. So I get the TV. I see Johnny. And I'd say hello, everybody. I see Johnny Ace. He's like, yeah, you're working Bradshaw tonight. I went, oh. son of a <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like Tommy, but uh, I was like, uh, so I went really. He's like, yeah, you're going to do the moonsault. You're going to go over. I was like, does John know this? <laughs> so and then John shows up and he's behind me and like his cowboy hat was pretty much like the, the dorsal fin <laughs> and jaws like, and I tensed up. I was just like bracing myself just in case you know another haymaker came long story short they explain the thing and then bradshaw comes up and goes you want to talk it's like absolutely so uh you've been to tvs and mm-hmm. you know 
when you're in the back, you see there's all this signage, mm-hmm. you know, catering, Vince's right. office, seamstress, blah, blah, blah. So we start walking to a part of building where I'm seeing less and less signs. I'm like, oh, man, I'm getting whacked. <laughs> if we go to in a room and there's plastic on the floor, I'm running. You know, <laughs> this is like good for like Joe Pesci and your fellas. Yeah, right. He thinks he's, he's getting made. So I, I get, we go in a room. He locks the door behind me. And I kind of like took a step back. He goes, you know, uh, we can you know make money or, you know, we can fight or we can make money on this. I was like, well, I never wanted to fight you, John. And I said, truthfully, I was a fan of yours before all this happened. You know, I, I saw him in Global Wrestling mm-hmm. Federation. I was a huge fan when he came to WWE and he was, he was with Zeb. And I was like, yeah, you're like the new Stan Hansen. I was a huge fan of yours. And I was really disappointed when everything happened between us. I said, you did this, that, this, and then the other thing. He goes, quite honestly, I don't remember any of it. Because, you know, you, 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 you hear, you know, this people are different. And mm-hmm. he, he might have been, you know, a different guy back then. He right. probably didn't remember. I took him at his word. You know, I'm not in this, in this business, you know. To, I, the worst thing you could ever do in life is hold a grudge. Of course. It doesn't hurt the person you have to grudge with. It eats away at you. At you, right. It becomes like a cancer and mm-hmm. you know, it just eats away at your soul. And the most invigorating feeling is when somebody says, I'm sorry. And that burden comes off your shoulder. And I shook John's hand. I said, look, man, I was always a fan of yours. He's like, well, let's make some money off this. Let's go in the ring tonight and have a good match. And from then on out, we went to the ring. We had a good match. And then um, flash forward 10 years later, you know, uh, I, so I, I had a, like, I did a couple more TVs for them. And then uh, the BWO wrestled the Mexicals, the Great American Bash. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my time was up. Flash forward years later, I'm on Twitter and it says, you know, at JC Layfield is now following you. <laughs> I went, and I went to see if it, if it you know, because like fans make up their own. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, that's and, him though. And it was him. <laughs> and a fan pointed it out, goes, Am I seeing things or did, did JBL just follow the blue meaning in Twitter? And he goes, I love Brian. I think he's great. I think he's funny. And from the, you know, from that ugly incident right. to now, you know, we're Twitter buddies. And that's how you become friends nowadays. Yeah. The ultimate in friendship, right? Yeah. yeah. You, know, you can make <laughs> friendship with somebody, you know, once you make money with them. Yeah. So, yeah. Or, and be on Twitter. Yeah. And follow each other on Twitter. And the, 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 the coup de grace was, you know, this last year he tried to get me in the Royal Rumble since it was in Philadelphia. Oh, that's cool. He lobbied. He's like, because I had just done, I had just filmed ECW on a release volume free for the WWE. Mm-hmm. What better way to announce that the DVD's coming out than have you come to the an ring? ECW original in Philadelphia, yeah. coming to the ring? Here's the new co-host, you know, hosting with Steve Richards and Joey Styles, the Blue Meanie. Yeah, I tried to get me and Stevie, and then like, you know, I think you know, due to you know trying to save money on flights or whatever, there's a, they, you know, John just said me, and it was, came down to that Friday before, and they picked Bubba. Oh, okay. So, I, no, I love Bubba. So, no, of course, of course. I, I, I marked out for seeing Bubba come yeah. to the ring, too. Man. But it was cool. It was close. Uh, great stories, man. But uh, last question. What's your favorite match that you've ever had, if you had to pick one? Oh, my God. Uh, there's favorite matches and there's favorite moments. You know, could, Give me a couple. Uh, I mean, the number one moment was, uh, you know, I'm in the ECW for a couple months. And Mick Foley's getting set to go to the WWE. And he comes up to me and Steve and he goes, yeah, guys, I got this, uh, this plan for you to be a part of my farewell. I mean, Steve, are like looking around, like, is he talking to us? <laughs> and then like we turn around, he's like, no, no, no. I, I, he, he liked what we did. And, uh, he 
did his match with Mikey Whipwreck, got in the mic, and he was going to you know say his uh, gave his farewell speech, and he wanted to bring two guys to the ring, and this whole build up sounded like Paulie and, and <laughs> yeah. Todd Gord come out, and me and Stevie come out, and we did the the Fargo strut <laughs> together. I remember, yeah, I was that was one of my first shows was at Mixed Last, yeah, yeah. And, 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 <laughs> to do the, and we recently just recreated that on a, we had a, a show where we celebrated his birthday. He's like, I want to recreate a moment that lives in ECW infamy, and he does this whole James Brown type like I'm not leaving until we do it kind of speech, and we go out and we we recreated it. And you guys, uh, favorite match. I mean, uh, any match you had with, you know, Tracy Smothers, mm. Little Guido, the FBI, and ECW. Uh, and then when I got to the WWE, I loved working with Edge and Christian. You know, those guys were so good. And we're all just young. And yeah. Just open to just anything. Ha- just having fun. Yeah. Do, I do a spy where, you know, we do the crisscross. I go, stop. I do the meanie dance, you know, you know, do the, you know, the spin around and then he would just drop kick me in the mush <laughs> you know and then he would do the meanie dance and this cool stuff like hey, working with the you know as much as i love working loved working with the vets and learning i liked working with the guys who were around my age and wanted to do the same mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. and that, that's how i was in ecw and then yeah. with wwe and uh you know i'm in a good place right now i'm I, you know i went through uh, i went through a lot uh, Wade Keller from the Torch calls me the uh, the Forrest Gump of wrestling because I've kind of been there for a lot of big moments, <laughs> good yeah. and bad. Yeah, you know, I, I remember when I was there when you know they set the fan on fire. I was there when you know this and that happened. But you know, I'm in a good place now. I'm coaching, and you know, I'm giving back to the business that gave so much to me. You know, I'm over at the Monster Factory in Paulsboro, and uh, to be able to tell the kids, you know, teach them what not only what to do, but teach them the mistakes I made. You know, and you know, pass it along. You know, and it's it's some of the greatest stuff. So then, you should be teach. They should be listening to you when it comes to characters, because one of the best characters. Well, thank you. Came out of nowhere, the blue meaning. I appreciate that, brother. Glad we could do this today. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an auditory (laughs) thing, but we're shaking hands like. But thank you, thank you so much. Hey, I want to send out heartfelt condolences to uh, to the Blue Meanie, uh, real name Brian Heffron. His mother passed away last week after a long illness, and a GoFundMe page has been set up to cover her funeral expenses. You can find the link on Blue Meanie's Twitter at Blue Meanie B W O. If you got a couple bucks to kick in, uh, Meanie is a great guy, and it uh, he totally deserves this. So help out uh, Mrs. Meanie, um, uh, the recently passed Mrs. Meanie, and go check that out at Blue Meanie B W O. Help out if you can and i gotta say thanks to helping me out for supporting this show supporting my sponsors i wouldn't be able to do this twice a week for free without all of you and all my great sponsors including the one that's been with talk is jericho since the beginning amazon you can find the talk is jericho amazon links by going to podcast one.com clicking on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page then hit the talk is jericho button i got amazon links for the usa uk canada a Every time you use the Talk is Jericho Amazon link, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover costs, which help us keep this on the air for you for free. It's very, very important. If you're going on Amazon, which everybody does, please go through the Talk is Jericho link. As a matter of fact, if you go buy something from Talk is Jericho link on Amazon, post uh, what you bought and uh, post it on Twitter at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter, and I will, uh, I will retweet it and I will follow you. Because I want to see what kind of cool stuff you guys are buying on Amazon through the Talk is Jericho links. Now remember, when you use this, there's no hidden fees or extra charges. You buy just about anything you can think of on Amazon and usually at the best price. And you're helping out this show as well. Once again, podcastone.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Then take a picture of what you buy. Post it on Twitter 
at Talk is Jericho, and I will retweet and follow you. Sound good? All right. Don't forget about my great sponsors, TrueCar, Geico, Uber, DDP Yoga, featuring the DDP Yoga Now app. And if you go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho, you'll get the best deal on the most amazing fitness uh, program in the, in the world today, and you get three free months of the DDP Yoga app, okay? Thank you for listening. Keep on listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And next uh, Wednesday, all right. Very, very huge requested. Uh, it's not just one guest, it's two guests. One of the top tag teams in the world today. Maybe the top tag team in the world today. And they're not in the WWE. They're not in TNA. They're in Ring of Honor. They're in Japan. They're called the Young Bucks. That's right. The Young Bucks are going to be here. Matt and Nick Jackson next Wednesday by popular demand on Talk is Jericho. And what a cool group of guys they are. A couple of good dudes. Uh, we're going to talk all all about their career on Wednesday and I expect to see you there. Want you to join us. We'll see you on Wednesday. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs and a big yeah boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com That's podcastone.com